0: Father, I thank you for this privilege we have to come into your presence and to hear from you. And I pray right now, Lord, that we still pray that after we've heard what you have to say today. Lord, you're going to get a little uh, nitpicky this morning, and I pray that we would hear your voice in your voice alone, Father. May May I decrease, may you increase, the last thing anyone needs to hear from or anyone that they need to hear from it today is me. Father, we need to hear from you. So may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, Lord, be pleasing in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. And we give this time to you now. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Last week, we were challenged. I was challenged anyway. I don't know about you, but uh, I, I tend to have God speak to me and you just get sort of the overflow. But last week, I was challenged with the whole idea, uh, the whole reality, that the Ten Commandments really are a teacher for us. It's it's designed to show us that we cannot come to God on the basis of the law. We're never going to measure up. And so this week I took out the Ten Commandments, I looked them up actually, uh, Exodus chapter 20, and I began to—I went down them, and I'm kind of checking off. How am I doing? You know, you shall have no other gods before me. Well, uh, the fact is, I put a lot of things before God at times. You shall not make any graven images. I don't bow down to idols, but certainly uh, money and things play a big part in my life. So, not too good on that one. Not not faring too well so far. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Well. I mean, I, I, I don't cuss. I never have. It's never been a part of me. Uh, and yet, I have to admit, there are times when I make promises to God and I don't follow through. I think that counts remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Well, we celebrate the Lord's day. But in a similar way, I often uh, find so many other things that I need to get done rather than really dedicating myself at least even one day to the Lord. Honor thy father and mother. Do I even need to get started? I mean, I I failed that one miserably many, many years ago. Thou shalt not kill. Okay, now we're talking. Haven't killed anybody lately. Okay, there's no murder in my background. Oh, and, and following that, thou shalt not kill shall not commit adultery, all right, I'm on a roll here, but then thou shalt not steal, and, and God is so picky, it's not just grand larceny, he's talking about pencils, and you know, th- those little things, so eh, yeah, I'm back down again, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, uh, that's lying, and sorry, uh, I'm, I've lied. I've I've done less than the truth at times. Thou shalt not covet. Uh, and if you read it in Exodus 20, it's thou shalt not covet your neighbor's stuff. <laughs> and I and I read that, and I thought, oh man, you know, this guy here has a really nice speedboat. The guy over there has a Harley. Oh, the guy two houses up that way has a Triumph TR6. Man, I just I've got coveting all around me. So uh, except for those two I'm I'm doing okay Well, as I've said oftentimes, buckle up. My wife tells me she likes it when I say that. Buckle up, (laughs) because uh, today Jesus is going after the two that I thought I was doing somewhat okay on. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Matthew as we pick up in our series, His Kingdom Come, and we're picking it up where we left off last week. We're going through every part of the book of Matthew. Today, this week, we are in uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. And Jesus is going to address the two that I thought I was doing okay on. I encourage you to take out your note cards. If you didn't get a note card, put your hand up, and our ushers will get you one. On the back are a series of questions that we will use this week in our life groups, as well as you're free to use those on your own. Need a note card? Need one right down front here. Gonna, you're going to put the ushers to work, huh? You, you, yeah, I know Trenton just wants to see if this works, right? You've really got a note card. Oh, here you go. Okay. You're making Tim get his exercise today. All right. And uh, if you're joining us online, welcome. It's great to have you with us. Make sure uh, that you download the church app and then all the information I'm talking about is available to you as well. Well, the verse that we ended on last week really sets up where Jesus is going today. HE SAYS IN VERSE 20, FOR I SAY TO YOU THAT UNLESS YOUR RIGHTEOUSNESS FAR SURPASSES THAT OF THE SCRIBES AND THE PHARISEES, YOU WILL NOT ENTER THE KINGDOM OF GOD. AND AS I SAID LAST WEEK, TO THOSE LISTENERS 2,000 YEARS AGO, THAT WAS AN IMPOSSIBLE TASK BECAUSE THE SCRIBES AND THE PHARISEES WERE THE SPIRITUAL SUPERSTARS OF THE DAY. THEY WERE GOOD AT KEEPING RULES. THEY WERE GOOD AT MAKING RULES TOO. I read that they came up with 400. I'm sorry, 248 commands in the law, as well as 365 prohibitions, and their responsibility as Pharisees was to make sure that people were keeping all of those commands and all of those and, and staying away from all of those prohibitions. Well, beginning today, Jesus is going to begin telling us how we can do that. And over the next three weeks, we're going to see Jesus using a form over and over again where he will say, you have heard it is written in the law, and then he'll explain that, that portion of the law, and then he will follow that up with, but now I say to you. Seemingly changing the law, and yet he promised us, as we saw last week, that he did not come to abolish the law, and so he's not abolishing the law, he's fulfilling the law. He's going to share with us some specifics, and that's where it gets a little uncomfortable when he starts getting specific. He's going to correct what they and what we have often heard, most likely in their case from the scribes and those Pharisees, uh, that talked about that they didn't need to be more righteous in the number of laws that they had. No, they need to be more righteous in keeping the laws, in the way they keep the laws. Jesus here is talking about the application of the law. i uh, sorry, he's not talking about the application of the law. He's talking about motives. He's talking about attitudes. He's going to show us, continue to show us, our inability to keep the law without a relationship with God through him. Keeping the law obviously, is more than just what the scribes and the Pharisees taught. It's not just this external obedience to a rule book, to a set of rules. It's also a very private and personal matter. And the first thing we see in our passage today is that quite often in the privacy of our minds, we practice, as Roberta Flack once sang, killing them softly. And if you don't know who Roberta Flack is, Google it. It's online. Okay, (laughs) killing them softly he says starting in verse 21 you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not murder and whoever commits murder shall be answerable to the court but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be answerable to the supreme court and whoever says to his brother you good for nothing shall be guilty before the supreme court and whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Now make no mistake what Jesus is doing here. When he says, you have heard, but I say to you, he is in a sense lifting himself above Moses. He is above Moses. He's, he's categorizing himself as the lawgiver. He is teaching, as we saw last week, as one who has authority because he does. But what Jesus is saying here is that murder is not only the act of murder itself, it is also the attitude behind the act. It is also anger. The Pharisees only focused, you see, on the act of murder. And so, you know, you you often hear people say that. Are you a good person? I, I don't know about you, but the number one answer I get to that is, well, I haven't killed anybody. Okay, well, if that's the standard, then I guess you're a good person. Jesus is now challenging that standard. And because they hadn't murdered anybody or killed anybody, they felt pretty righteous. But look at what resulted, think about this, guys, what resulted from the anger of the Pharisees towards Jesus. They were literally plotting his death, his murder. But don't, under, don't misunderstand what's being said here. Jesus is not saying that anger leads to murder. He is, it's actually worse than that. He is saying that anger is murder. And this anger, this is something that is internal, but it builds up and it grows. Does that sound familiar? I mean, you've probably experienced that, right? Most of us have. And eventually it explodes. And he even goes into the fact that it will often explode into words, as he says here in verse 22, you good for nothing, you fool. You've never lost your temper with somebody else. I I dare say we all have done that. And assuming a position of authority over somebody by calling them names is a demonstration, Jesus says, of sin in your heart. And with all of those, and all of those sinful hearts, Jesus says, are headed for hell. This is serious business. And in fact, I, I, I encourage you, as Jesus is encouraging us, to be careful. In fact, if it'll help you to remember, I, I saw this this week, the word anger is only one, one letter away from danger. Okay? and it, And while we might be able to disguise it for a little while, eventually it'll come out. And it'll be dangerous at that point. As Jesus says here, it'll be murder. Now, That often often prompts the question, is there a place for righteous anger? I mean, Jesus was angry when he went into the temple and when he overturned the tables and when he made a whip and and beat them. Okay, is there a place for that? Well, of course there is. We are to hate sin. In fact, Ephesians 4.26 says it. Be angry and yet do not sin. But obviously, Jesus is not talking about that here. He's not talking about... We often don't like to call it even righteous anger. We call it righteous indignation, okay? Some people, though, are just angry PEOPLE AREN'T THEY AND MAYBE THAT'S SOMETHING YOU DEAL WITH I HAVE FRIENDS THAT DEAL THEY STRUGGLE WITH ANGER I was reading examples this week of, of road rage. I've seen them. I was, uh, I was going down Sunnymead Boulevard just a couple of days ago and something happened between two guys in front of me and the one guy sped off. And I mean, when I say something happened, I don't know, he looked at him wrong or something and he yelled at him and he gestured towards him and the one guy took off and the other car took off after him and they're, they're dodging around traffic and it was a miracle they didn't kill somebody over what was going on in that situation. And don't get me started, maybe you don't see road rage on the highway, but you've been on the internet lately? Have you seen the level of discourse we have on the internet? Something about that anonymity, that that nobody knows who I am, makes people say what's really oftentimes inside of them. God is so serious about this, and yet we often aren't. We often think, you know, well, it's just calling somebody names. After all, what do they say? Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I don't know if you've experienced this, guys, but that's not true. When I think of the things that people have said to me in the past, I would rather have been hit with sticks and stones I don't remember the sticks and stones, but the words that people have said to me are still in there, and they still come out at seemingly the worst possible times. So, yeah, words do hurt me far more than those sticks and their stones. And think about this, guys. In addition to what it reveals about what is inside of you, that person to whom you are saying those things to, that person that you hate, do you realize, is a person that God loves as well. That person is a person that God loves so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for him as well as for you. He didn't just send his son for all the good people. He sent his son for, for me, okay, because I ain't one of the good people. Right? You got that? And, and frankly, neither are you. There's a few people when I think about that that I, I would say that I love enough to die for them and I bet you have some of them as well but how would you feel if people started calling them names about, to those people that you love? Well Jesus doesn't just leave us here. He doesn't just leave us here as angry murderers. Now because we have broken even that commandment I have actually murdered if you're going uh, uh, to define it that way. You need to practice, he says, these four words. Let's make this right. Wrong attitudes like anger need to be made right. And he's going to give us a couple of prescriptions for doing just that. Look at verse 23. He says, therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go and first be reconciled to your brother and then come back and present your offering." So presenting an offering at the altar, let's put it into our vernacular, it's what we are doing here today. We are offering God uh, our praise and our worship, and we're we're glorifying Him. This is an offering at the altar this morning. And notice where the anger is. It's not that you're angry at somebody, you realize I'm, I'm mad at somebody. No, you realize that somebody is mad at you. And when you're worshiping and you're realizing this, Jesus says you've got to do something about it. Doesn't that counter to what we would normally think? I mean, if I would think if somebody's mad at me, okay, well, you know, I I can deal with that. No, you need to go and deal with it, he says here. And you do so by reconciling. And when you reconcile, to reconcile, say, your accounts, okay? You're, you're balancing them, right? You're balancing the books, you're bringing things together. I like the way it, it, it breaks down. But to reconcile, reconcile or reconciliary. To re is back and conciliary is bring together. I, I put all that up there because I, I'm, one of my guilty pleasures is I like gangster movies, and in the mafia, the third in command in the mafia is the conciliary. And he's the guy, and I just find this fascinating because I never knew this before, but he's the guy that often brings people together to have, you know, to make sure that there's peace or that there's a potential for peace, unless they're going to kill everybody. And then, you know. <laughs> but he says, before you offer that praise, you do this, you reconcile with them, and then you come back together and you offer your praise. Now, you might say, but worship is important too. Yes, it is, but there is something that is even more important than worship. If you're taking notes this morning, and I hope you are, write down 1 Samuel 15. I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but it's one of the most, in my mind, it's one of the most comical passages of Scripture. In 1 Samuel 15, Samuel has, uh, the prophet Samuel has told King Saul that you are going to be the punishment against these, uh, the, the, this group of people known as the Amalekites. And you are going to utterly, your your responsibility is to utterly destroy the Amalekites. And so you are to kill all of their, you know, all of their soldiers, all their women, all their children, all their, even you kill all their animals, everything, you know, because you're meeting out my punishment. And Saul says, okay, I will. And then as you read through, you realize, okay, they got rid of all the bad animals, but they kept the good animals. They didn't kill the king. And he just basically broke his rule like crazy. And so then Samuel shows up, and and I love the way this reads. Samuel shows up, and Saul comes up to him, and he says, I did just like you told me that God wants me to do. And Samuel says, well, then what is this bleeding of sheep that I hear? What is this mooing of cows that I hear? If you did what, every, what we're supposed to do. And Samuel said, oh, well, I did everything I was supposed to do. I kept those because we're going to offer those as a sacrifice. And, and, and he's, he's giving all of these excuses. Kind of sound familiar, mom and dad sometimes. <laughs> I know there were times that I know I must have tremendously frustrated my parents because I would, tell them, I would say, I'm, I've done what you've told me to do, and yet then they'd start parsing it out and say, well, you didn't do this, and you didn't do this, and you didn't do this. And Saul is here trying to justify himself, and Samuel makes this great statement to him, behold, Saul, it to obey is better than a sacrifice to obey is better than coming here and yeah I mean you it, it's great that you're here and you're worshiping and you're raising hands and you're praising God but even better than that hopefully you are obeying what God is telling you to do maybe God as we're preaching as I'm preaching through this as I'm reading through this I know I have these experiences where God brings to mind that person that has something against me and then I have to wrestle with it then I become Saul you know, oh yeah, I've done everything right. Yeah, well, what is this? Uh, what, what what is this angst that I pick up in your psyche, Willie? Why aren't you dealing with that? Okay, well, I guess I haven't done everything you've told me to do, and, and I realize there is somebody that I have to pick up the phone or I have to go see them, and I have to to work through reconciling them to be the consigulary in their life. Now. Does this mean that I need to track down every last person that has something against me? I don't know about you, but for me, maybe that could be a full-time job. I don't know. I, I hope not, but, but who knows? Once I get started, and the answer is no. Look at what it says here in verse 23. We're presenting our offering, and Jesus says, you there, remember. It's not that you're going out of your way to figure out who, who can I go to now. It's that the Spirit is telling you, do this. And, and what Jesus is getting at here is do it now. So that if someone has something against you, now he goes to the other side. He's, he's talking about somebody that's had something against you. Now he goes to the other side and they, and they say here, you've done something to someone else. Look at verse 25. He says, come to good terms with your accuser quickly while you are with him on the way to court so that your accuser will not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer, and you will not be thrown into prison. Truly, I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last quadrant, the last cent is a good way to, in other words, paid up everything you owe. In Jesus' day, if you were taking somebody to court, you had to actually go and find them, track them down, and bring them to the judge yourself. So when he talks about here, he's with you on the way, he's on the way to court, okay? He's taking you to court, and what does Jesus say to do? This is how practical he gets. He says, before you get to court, cut a deal with this guy. Okay, make a deal with him. Apologize. Do whatever you have to do before you get to the court. Otherwise, he says, you're going to get thrown into jail and you're going to lose everything. What's Jesus getting at when he tells this little sort of a mini parable here? It's something that we all know, something that I'm sure most, if not all of us experience. And that is, when I know that I need to do something, don't wait. Do it. Do it right now. Do it as you're on the way. We've all been there. We put off doing the things. Or, you know, in my case, uh, I I don't want to just feel like I'm just sitting around not doing what I'm supposed to do, so I find all kinds of little busybody things I can do. You know, I can write this report, and I can talk to this person. I can make that phone call. But the whole time, there's this great big thing hanging over me. You ever been there? Some of you I see are, are agreeing with me. And I know I need to do that, but I'm so busy with all these other little... My, my pastor used to say uh, the best thing for, um, for time management was put off until tomorrow the things you don't have to do today. Now, on its face, that sounds like horrible advice, but I understand what he means because it means that I'm putting off the things that I really do need to do today, like going to those people. And trust me, guys, I know from experience, it never gets better. You don't put it off and somehow the problem goes away. No, the problem grows. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It becomes like, you ever heard of the Hatfields and McCoys? Uh, the, 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 uh, the families down in Kentucky who uh, had a, a feud that started. Uh, one of them was, you know, didn't like the fact that they were Confederates, and so that kind of started it, and they shot somebody. And then somebody stole somebody's hog, and they never dealt with it. And over the next 40, 50 years, it was back and forth and back and forth. And in the end, as many as, or as little as 20, and possibly up to 100 members of those two families lost their lives. Because they wouldn't just sit down and deal with it. Jesus is telling us to deal with it. Deal with it while we're on the road. While we're still talking. Otherwise, what's going to happen? It's going to imprison you. There will be no way of escape. Realize this. The court you're going to have to stand before is not the Riverside County Court. It's the Supreme Court with the Supreme Judge Himself, God. So here we are. I thought I was good. I thought I was good on two counts. Now I'm down to breaking nine of the Ten Commandments, but Jesus isn't finished yet. Before, that I'm, before I think that I'm clear on number 10, adultery, Jesus wants me to know to not even give him that look. <laughs> that's, that's right out of my mother's mouth. Don't you give me that look. Believe it or not, there were times, especially around my mom, when I knew not to say anything. But boy, she knew what I was thinking BECAUSE THAT'S WHAT SHE WOULD SAY TO ME. VERSE 27, YOU HAVE HEARD IT SAID, YOU SHALL NOT COMMIT adultery. I'M LIKE, JESUS, IT'S THE LAST ONE THAT that I FEEL LIKE I'VE NOT BROKEN. AND NOW YOU'RE GOING FOR THAT. VERSE 28, BUT I SAY TO YOU THAT EVERYONE WHO LOOKS AT A WOMAN WITH LUST FOR HER HAS ALREADY COMMITTED adultery WITH HER IN HIS HEART. TO LOOK AT A PERSON WITH LUST. NOW UNDERSTAND WHAT THAT IS, GUYS. Yeah, we're not just talking about admiring, that's a good-looking person there, okay? Nothing wrong with that, but to look with lust is not that. In fact, we just did a train, we're doing, in the, in the midst of doing uh, sexual harassment training for supervisors, and so I just took some tests, and one of the things they taught me was what it means to look at a person with lust. They didn't use that word, they used the word leering. Do not leer, at people. If you find me leering at you, slap me, okay? <laughs> and, and leering is, you know, I, I don't even want to look at you. <laughs> sadly, and, I, and, and this is no joke, sadly, uh, pretty much every, I mean, this is, this is one of those differences that I, I don't know that I can even fully understand, but pretty much every woman I know can tell me right off the bat what it is because they've had it happen to them. And I, I, I sympathize with you, and I never want to be the, the purveyor of anything like that. But that's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about mentally staring at them, playing out fantasies in your mind, and feeding your, your inner appetite as a substitute for the act of adultery. Once again, the Pharisees, they're only concerned with the outward act. And they completely, and they correctly quoted the commandment, but they missed the entire point of what the commandment is all about. You see, adultery begins inside of us, it begins in our mind, and then the act follows. And if we're honest with ourselves, we all know this is true. Before I'm ever gonna do something, what do I have to do? I have to first have an attitude to do it. And after that, I, I allow that attitude to, and this is the leering part, okay, that attitude, you know, I, I allow it to fester, I think about it, I, I consider it. And then what happens, ultimately, if I think about it long enough, I am going to do it. It's going to, to give birth to an action. James talks about this, by the way, when he talks about how sin works. And it, it's going to give birth to an action, and if that action is successful, and sadly it quite often is then it's going it's to motivate me to say, well, that wasn't so bad. You know, like, like, say, shoplifting. You know, I think about it, or I see something sitting there. I could grab that, and nobody would catch me. And, and I think, I think, after I think about it for long enough, eventually I just grab it, and I kind of wait, and I look around, and I look to get caught, and I didn't get caught. I got away with it. I got this thing, and I didn't have to pay for it, and it's mine now. And guess what? That's going to become a habit in your life. Why? because you got away with it and it's more it's more motivating now to say well let i will just keep doing this and again i don't have to really uh make sure that you understand this because we most of us live this this is how our lives are and if we stopped it at the attitude stage which is what jesus is getting at here then it doesn't become an action And it doesn't then have the potential to become a habit that will ultimately control us. But if our lust doesn't lead to adultery, guess what? God still doesn't have, uh, God still has a problem with it. For him, guys, lust doesn't lead to adultery. Lust is adultery. Go back and read it again. From God's perspective, our thoughts are actions. If I'm, if I'm, in fact, just think about it this way. If I'm spending time lusting and thinking about and pondering and mulling over and leering about all of these things, guess what I'm not doing? I am not glorifying God. I'm not thinking of God at all. I, I, don't, I can't imagine how I could do that. I would have to be crazy. I'd have to be, you know, have a split personality to be able to, to leer and, and, and think those kind of thoughts. At the same time, I'm going to worship God. It just doesn't happen. And so our thoughts, as our thoughts become toxic, this is one more example of the purpose of the law. It's to show us just how far we are from God. As I said last week, as, as Ray Comfort likes to show people on the streets of, of Huntington Beach, you know, if you think you're a good person, just go to the law of God and start looking at what, what is the requirement, what are the characteristics of good people? And probably, I'm sure you all know what I'm talking about. We've all experienced. So here we are. It wasn't bad enough that I had broken eight of the Ten Commandments. Now I see that I'm angry, so I'm a murderer. Now I see that I've lusted, so I am an adulterer. Guess what? I guess there is none righteous. No, not one. Write that down, okay? (laughs) (laughs) And again, what is... That's exactly what the law was intended to do, to bring me to that point. So what do I do with these private sins? What do I do with these things that I would kind of have a tendency to say, Lord, mind your own business. Okay? These things are just inside of me. They're—they're—they're they're, they're not. I'll, I'll just smile. I'll make sure they don't come out. I'll make sure I behave right. What do I do with it? It's kind of like it's a cancer within you. And what do you do with that? You cut it out you do some radical surgery. And that's where Jesus goes next. Verse 29, he takes it very seriously. Now, if your right eye is causing you to sin, tear it out and throw it away from you, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand is causing you to sin, cut it off and throw it away from you, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Talk about violent. This is like a slasher movie here. And sadly, as is the case with us humans, there have been people that have taken this literally. People that have cut out their eyes. People that have cut off their hands. It's like the people that read the last chapter of Mark and decide part of worship is picking up snakes and, and, and worshiping with them. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Obviously, it's not what he's talking about here because I've asked blind people, does your blindness enable you to not lust? <laughs> it don't work. And one-handed people can still sin, can still steal. People with no hands can steal because it's not physical. Jesus is not talking about physically doing it. First, it's hyperbole, obviously. He's using outrageous examples to make a point but he's not talking about physically doing this he's talking about spiritual things this morning and throughout the new the uh, the sermon on the mount things that are inner things that are private he's addressing this tendency for, for us to say well i really really struggle with this so i think i'll just taper off you know i'll i'll try to to leer i don't know 60% less today, you know, I'll only think this many. I'll, I'll, I'll think 10 less uh, impure thoughts than what I thought. You know, I'll, I'll take it a little bit at a time. I can handle that. No, Jesus says you don't taper off when it comes to cancer. You cut it out. You do spiritual surgery to this spiritual cancer. He's talking here about removing those things that cause you to sin in order to escape, to escape hell. The stakes couldn't be more large. Deal violently with it, he says. Cut it out. It's, if it's your activities, then stop doing them. If it's your hobbies, then find new hobbies. If, if it's the people that you hang out with, get a new group of folks to hang out with. If it's your schedule, then change the schedule. Whatever it is in your life, and we all have them, stop it. He says this because he knows us. He knows that we typically tolerate sin i rank them you know there's some really bad ones as we've said you know we've been saying murder and 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 adultery and those are the big the big ones well no sin is sin and we tolerate it especially those sins like he's been talking about here that stay inside my head those sins that that nobody else has to know about and after all it's it's hard to stop isn't it I mean, it's painful. It requires uh, that that I change things that that sometimes I don't want to change or don't feel good changing. But if you allow it to take you down in your relationship with Christ, trust me, you will regret it. And I know that from experience as well. Guilt and shame, guys, at the very least, are toxic to relationships. It's what we saw in the Garden of Eden. What happened when Adam and Eve disobeyed God? Whereas before they had been walking with Him in the garden and enjoying fellowship with Him, after that, after when guilt and shame entered in, they didn't want to be anywhere near God. They hid from Him. And it's been happening ever since. Now, I can hear some of you now saying, yeah, Willie, well, that's easy for you to say. And as I've said many times, everything is easy to say. The difficulty is doing it. And this, guys, is hard to do. No, no, catch that. It's not hard to do. It is impossible to do. And maybe that's why you're struggling with it so much, because you actually think you can do this. We're talking about the law here, the Big Ten Commandments. And what was their purpose? What, the purpose, as we know, it was not to keep them. So right from the get-go, we're breaking them. They are here to show us once again that we cannot keep them. Remember, as we saw last week from Galatians 3.24, write it down and look it up again. It's our, the, the law is our guardian. It's our guide. It's that, it's that, that slave that was attached to a young boy that would walk with him and show him the way and, and walk him through things and explain things to him. That's the word that he uses to describe what the law is for us. And anger and lust are right up there. I just cannot stop being angry. I can't stop lusting. So what am I to to do? I am to turn to the one who has done that, Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul struggled with this. Write down Romans 7 and take a look at his struggle. He ends up saying, he he sounds like he's a schizophrenic. He says, you know, on one hand, I I do the things that I don't want to do, and the things that I do are the things that I don't want to do. Here's what he comes up with. I find that this principle of evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully agree with the law of God in the inner person, meaning, yeah, those are good things to not do. I agree, Lord. But I see a different law in the parts of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin. In other words, who doesn't want to do the Ten Commandments? They're they're good laws. If we all did them, wouldn't it be a wonderful world that we live in? But he said, there's this other law in me that as soon as I see it, he he expounds more on on this in chapter 7, but it's like as soon as I see God saying, do not, it makes me want to do it all the more. And that's the truth. I'll tell you this. If you, ever, if you ever paint something, do not put a wet paint, do not touch sign on it. You know what's going to happen. You're going to have fingerprints in it because people are going to see that and they're going to go, I wonder if it really is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's hardwired into us. That's the way we act. When you say don't, it's like, why? Let me, let me try that. And that's what Paul's talking about here wretched man that i am he says who will set me free from the body of this death thanks be to god it's through jesus christ our lord we talk about the abcs and a is to admit your need and that's the first thing we need to do when we come to the law of god we need to admit that i cannot keep this on my own and then prepare myself for some surgery. Believe that Jesus Christ did keep the law. He did it on my behalf, and he can work in my life and make me the person that is a law keeper rather than a breaker. Jesus is is the great physician that will cut out those things within my life if we but ask him, and that's the seed, that's that's making a, a choice and asking him to do so. 1 John 1, 9, I memorize it because I use it at least once a day, if not more. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous so that He will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As I go through my day and I, and I screw up and I make mistakes, in addition to dealing with the person that I've, I've offended or, or, or making right the thing that I've made wrong, I also say, Lord, would you forgive me? I, I agree, I shouldn't have done that. Would you forgive me for that? Would you, would you cleanse me from all unrighteousness? Would you take your rightful place in my life? That's a good start. But I would encourage you to not even stop there. And it's neat. I love the way God brings things together. Because today we're having our annual meeting. And part of that is is celebrating who we are as a body of Christ. We're here for each other. I'm not on my own. Jackie's not on her own. Mary's not on her own. Trenton's not on his own. We have each other. And the body of Christ is powerful. And it enables me to be more and more the person that God wants me to be. James 5, 16, he says, after we confess our sins, he says, therefore, confess your sins to one another. In other words, be open with each other. And pray for one another so that you may be healed for the prayer of a righteous person when it is brought about can accomplish much. And I ask you to pray for me. As I, I hope you are, I know, you know when you get up here and preach and you hear about me, I'm sure there's a lot of prayers going up for me. And thank you. I appreciate that. But, and, and we need to be doing that. We need to be praying for each other. I was in a prayer, prayer with a guy this morning. And one of the things that we were praying about was how the enemy keeps us from accessing this tremendous opportunity we have to come boldly before the throne of grace and receive God's blessings. And we think, I don't have enough time, or I don't know how to do it right, or I don't know, you know, we come up with all kinds of excuses of why we don't just do it. It's amazing that Jesus actually said, you have not because what? Yes. You ask not. What a crazy reason. It's like, Dad, how come, how come my friends got a car and I didn't? Well, you never asked me. <laughs> oh, okay, well, can I? no, no. <laughs> He actually said yes. But I'll tell you, the car he got me, you, you want to know why I know how to work on cars? Because of the car my dad got me. And it's ultimately been a good thing, but uh, yeah, it was, it was interesting. Okay. <laughs> Finally, Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says this, Brothers and sisters, even if a person is caught in any wrongdoing... As far as applying what we've been hearing today, you who are spiritual are to to restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you're not tempted as well. And I love this, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. And while what we're hearing today may sound insurmountable, if you're really honest with yourself, man, how can I stop thinking the things I'm thinking? There's a lot of things I can do. That's why, that's why the Pharisees love to deal with behaviors because most of us have enough self-control to control our behavior. But how do you control your thoughts? You know, It's like I told you all, nobody, st- nobody think about pink elephants right now. How are you controlling that? I know what you're all thinking. And yet, as we bear each other's burdens... We fulfill the law of Christ. We fulfill these things that that he has called us to do. And so let's be there for each other. And again, today is a day when we get to to, uh, highlight that and think about what does it mean to be in this body, this local body of Christ called Crosswinds Church. Let me ask you some pointed questions as we uh, uh, do some takeaways here. The first one, (laughs) this is what I ask myself, who have I murdered today? Sadly, I almost always have an answer, you know, it, by, by Jesus' standards here. I've, I've murdered people pretty much every day. Uh, some of them I know, some of them I don't, some of them just that guy, you know, that cut me off or whatever. So it puts me in the mindset that, yeah, this was written to me, not just, this wasn't just written to bad people, it was written to me. Number two, I ask myself, have my eyes crossed the line? And sadly, there again, it has. And at times, you know, I have uh, brothers and sisters in Christ that I need to say, you know, be praying for me. And I and I would say that to all of you. And I'll be praying for you. That as we carry these things out, it's so difficult when it comes to the mind. But it's impossible if you don't have Christ. But even with Christ, it's it's a constant uh, desire to put Christ in control. To say, Lord, take control of my life. Uh, Fill me with Your Spirit. Control my thoughts from the inside out. And number three, what kind of surgery do I need? What I just described is one example of that surgery. Maybe a little more serious at times, but, God, but let's let God do His work in us. Amen? Amen. Father, yes, it's true. You're, you're kind of meddling today, and you're saying things that, truth be told, I, I titled it, my own thought is that why don't you mind your own business? And Father, I thank you when I'm thinking straight that I am your own business. You love me with with an everlasting love. And so, Lord, everything you do for me and to me, no matter how it may feel to me, no matter how intrusive or, or unkind it may feel, Lord, it is out of your love for me. And I pray that as I walk more and more in your spirit, that, Father, I will recognize that, we will recognize that, and we will more and more become that body of Christ that truly does bear each other's burdens and in doing so fulfills the law of Christ, the law of love. We thank you and we praise you for these truths today. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.